the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, welcome to the School of St. Philip Nearing. My name is Father David Abernathy, and throughout this uh, year, we're going to focus in particular upon St. Philip Neri. As I've mentioned in previous groups, that this is the anniversary of Philip Neri's birth, the 500th anniversary. And uh, when we celebrated his feast day this year, the Holy Father granted uh, uh, a, or created a jubilee year in honor of his birth, and also that there is a plenary indulgence that he gave for anyone who makes a pilgrimage to an oratory. So you're in luck. Go <laughs> <laughs> one right in town. And so when you come to the oratory, make a visit, go to confession, receive communion, and uh, offer prayers for the Holy Father's intentions. Uh, a plenary indulgence is, is granted, and that can be renewed multiple times throughout the course of this year, and also offered for the faithful departed. And uh, so I encourage you to take advantage of that throughout the course of this year. I expect to see many people uh, making use of the, the chapel. Uh, what I wanted to do throughout the course of this year in particular was to introduce people to the, the person and the, of Philip Neri and his teachings, his great holiness. And Philip is always a very practical teacher, the best of teachers, but one who's rooted in the spiritual tradition of the church. So he gives us really something that's substantive in terms of how we are to grow in holiness, but he presents it in a way that's very accessible. Philip uh, lived during the time of the Counter-Reformation and uh, so helped to revitalize the faith of the Catholics of the time, especially in Rome. And to this day, he's known as the Apostle of Rome, which is no light title because it means that he helped to evangelize the, the holy city uh, in the 16th century. Uh, so tonight we're looking in particular at the virtue of perseverance, holy perseverance. And I, I want to approach this uh, in three different ways. First, to place a, give a, ourselves a context within, to, uh, within which to understand perseverance itself. Then to look at Philip Neri, how he lived it, and in particular in the face of the struggles that he endured during his life. And then to look in particular at his teachings what he passed on to his disciples about how they would foster this virtue uh, in the course of their day-to-day -day life. Uh, so I want to uh, begin as we typically do with a hymn. It's in the opening page of your handout. Now thank we all our God. And I always think it's easier to sing when you're standing up, especially after you've eaten. <clears throat> Now thank we our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us all gifts of love, and still is ours today. Oh, may this gracious God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and bless 
to start with uh, giving ourselves a, a context within which to uh, look at the life of Philip, but also uh, to look at his teachings. Uh, how is it that we understand perseverance and endurance? And as Christians, we don't look at it as though we are Stoics, that somehow we are to pass through the things of life and not feeling them, that we simply white-knuckle it, as it were, and push ourselves through the difficult situations of our day-to-day -day life. We always see perseverance or endurance in a relational way, in the context of our relationship with God, that we endure the things, we persevere through the things of this life uh, because we trust in the providence of God, that all that we encounter in our day-to-day -day life, we can trust that God has brought to us and that he will also give us the strength to endure and that in our enduring these situations, these circumstances, trials that we have to face, that we are drawn into an ever deeper intimacy with Christ, in particular intimacy with Christ as he suffers and perseveres himself on the cross, that we experience this deep and abiding communion with the Lord and so deep and abiding that there's not one bit of suffering, not one difficult aspect of our lives that Christ himself has not experienced and does not embrace with us. Where he, we're never alone, in other words, in the difficult things that we experience in our day-to-day -day life. And so we just don't want to approach this as our uh, pushing ourselves through uh, the trials and difficulties. We're spiritual athletes, but not in the sense that we're just pushing out that extra rep and, and in order to make ourselves strong, stronger spiritually. Uh, for us, it's always very personal that we persevere because we desire to be faithful to the will of God and we desire to imitate Christ in this regard, that he perseveres because he has a, a perfect faith in the will of his own Father. And so he's able to embrace the abuse of the soldiers and the crowds and embrace ultimately the cross because he knows that the, the Father is present but also that this is a fulfillment of the Father's will. And he can trust in that love so deeply that he can embrace things that come to him without trying to avoid them. 
In, fa in fact, he can embrace them with, with a perfect love. And we see this also in the case of Mary, whose feast day we, we celebrate today. She can say, fiat, let it be done to me, not knowing what that was going to mean for her ultimately. And saying yes to be the mother of God, what would that mean for her in terms of the humiliation that it would bring in her life or to Joseph? And what would her child face? What, would, what does it mean that she is spouse of the Holy Ghost and to bear the Redeemer of the world? And yet she's able in her faith to say, let it be, let it be done. And be willing to persevere through whatever would, would come, come upon her, trusting again in the providence of God. And so I want to take uh, just a second here to, as I said, set the context. And one of my favorite books is called The Wound of Love. It's written by a Carthusian. And I find myself going back to it again and again. And the Carthusians, much like the Oratorians, promise stability. They stay in one monastery for life. And the, this author has a chapter called the crucible, the crucible, or I'm sorry, perseverance in the crucible. And I think as Oratorians, we sort of see our life here at the Oratory in the same way that there's something formative about remaining in the crucible, remaining in the, the common life, as there would be in the married life as well. You remain faithful, stay committed in that relationship, and endure the trials, the difficulties, as well as the joys that come to you, trusting that God is bringing about a perfection of your faith through it. And he offers just three paragraphs here that I want to share with you before we move on to Philip and then his teaching. Their, their role says the following, we are well aware how much patience and perseverance in the situation in which God has placed us contribute to the contemplation of things divine. And reflecting upon this, he says, patience and perseverance in the situation in which God has placed us. The word situation comprises everything that forms the framework of our life. Persons, things, events, big and small, in which God has placed us. What exists and is real is willed by God and included within the design of his providence. The persons God puts at our, my side, the place, the time, health and sickness, the play of events, all that molds and forms me, oppresses me or lifts me up, makes me rebellious or sanctifies me. The essential thing is to recognize the will of God here, to accept it with the suppleness of the reed blown by the wind, not shutting myself up within the frail confines of my own wisdom, but letting myself be molded by the all-powerful hands of the Creator. Easy to say, hard indeed to live. Patience and perseverance are forms of passivity, the fruit of great force and great faith. It is not resignation, but the deliberate embracing of a dearly loved will, an act of love, all the pure, and that it has only one thing to say, fiat. Yes, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. Your will, not mine. I thought he captured beautifully the, the essence of the, the relational aspect of perseverance. 
again, it's not just our laboring through the realities of our day-to-day -day life, but it's trusting that God is in every one of those situations. That so often we will expend a lot of energy to manipulate the realities of our day-to-day -day life, whether it's relationships, situations, that, or circumstances that we find ourselves ensconced in, that we will try to manage those, control those in such a way that they don't lay such a heavy burden upon us. Rarely do we, right from the beginning, accept those realities as they come to us, discern the presence and the will of God in them, and then embrace them freely, but also with, with a kind of joy and love, knowing that this is something that God has brought, brought into us, our life, for a reason. That, like Christ, we are to have that perfect confidence in the, the love and the providence of our God so that we aren't tossed about. That there's an aspect of perseverance that I think means also stability. That we aren't constantly trying to change the externals of our lives in order to make things more comfortable. Sometimes we'll think, well, if I just moved to this city, or if I just made this change in my job, or if I were able to get away from this person, my life would be much easier. And Inevitably, we find out that that's not true. That the problem, more often than not, rests within our own hearts. Our incapacity to love, or our incapacity to forgive, our inability to show a, a generosity of spirit towards others. And if we were able to do that, then we would be free from anxiety, and we would be free from fear. And this is what Philip will tell us as we move on through the evening. The more that we're able to trust in that providence of God and stay put, the more that we're able to see how he works through these situations that make absolutely no sense to us whatsoever. Think of Mary again, that you're called, you will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, the confusion of what that would mean for her and for her life, what God would do, how it would take place, how would she be received, what would it mean for her life, and yet there was a willingness to say yes to that with a kind of peacefulness and tranquility of mind and heart. And so this is ultimately, when we talk about holy perseverance, this is what we are seeking, that embrace of the providence of God in such a manner that our lives can be free from anxiety, that we can embrace the trials that come to us, not fearfully, but knowing the presence of God, and that there's, there's something redemptive in them for us, that God works through them, and by His grace transforms them, even if we can't see it or understand it, maybe we'll not, never see it throughout the course of our lives, but nonetheless, God is, is working there, and I think this is part of the reason that uh, Philip established stability as an aspect of, of the common life. It's here, living with this group of men throughout our lives, that our minds and our hearts are formed and shaped the most. And say, if there's somebody very difficult in the community, like Deacon Paul, and he just—he's <laughs> always yapping, never shuts up. If, if I was in another kind of community, I could move to a different house and be free of him. <laughs> But living in the oratory means that every day 
seeking to engage Deacon Hall <laughs> in a spirit of charity, to humble oneself to, or to offer forg forgiveness uh, when necessary. Not that Paul ever needs to be forgiven, but uh, well, maybe once in a while. <laughs> but uh, this is part, part of Philip's wisdom. So it wasn't you know, only the spiritual practices you'll see that he's talking about. It's sort of how we look at our lives as a whole and how we see the presence of God in our lives as a whole, looking at the bigger picture, if you will. And I think in our society and culture, we're, we're so used to picking up and moving, changing things at a whim, that this idea of a holy perseverance, enduring through difficult situations, trials, crosses, is almost foreign to us. I think as, as Christians, most of us find our Christianity a scandal in the sense that we're not comfortable with it and really don't embrace it on a day-to-day -day basis. In the sense of living as Christ lived, trusting in the will of God, His providence, so fully that we're willing to endure the, the trials and persevere through the trials that come to us. We flee the cross in big ways and in small ways uh, throughout the course of our day-to-day our -day life. So what I want to move on to here uh, first is just a, a little piece from a biography of Philip Neary written by a man named Bocci, B-A-C-C-I, and uh, Brother Peter is going to read it for us. It's only uh, a few paragraphs long, but uh, what I, I edited it a little bit just to show us the perseverance that Philip manifested in his life and how also he viewed community life. So I think this will also give you a sense of what Philip created and why when he established the oratory. A reading from the life of our glorious patriarch, St. Philip Neri, Apostle of Rome. <clears throat> of Philip's perseverance and firmness and well-doing. Let us come now to that which was, as it were, the complement of his eminent virtues. He knew well that every action, however great and hero heroic it might be, cannot lay a just claim to the title of virtue when it is not accompanied by stability and firmness. And therefore, from boyhood upwards, he aimed especially at perseverance and firmness and well-doing. When he came to Rome and knew that it was the will of God that he should labor in his vineyard there, there did he remain quietly for the space of sixty years and never went beyond the gates except so far as the circuit of the seven churches extends. His friends repeatedly begged him most importunately to go with them to different places, and his relations specially urged him to pay a visit to his own country and his native Florence. But they never could move him from his, uh, from his purpose, for, as he said to Vittorio Gottifredi, superior of Torre de Speci, he recognized no native land but heaven. When he became a priest and confessor, his attention was continually fixed on the proper discharge of those two offices, of the priesthood and the confessional, so that we may really say that the whole course of Philip's life was made up of praying, reading holy books, hearing and preaching the word of God, ministering the sacraments, visiting the churches and the sick, and doing other pious and religious works. When he had founded the congregation, he was very particular, particular not to accumulate many exercises in it, in order that he might the better attend to the principal end which he had in view, in establishing the institute. For he said he was contented with three things, prayer, the administration of the sacraments, and the word of God. This jealousy of multiplying exercises arose entirely from his desire that he himself and the others of the congregation might persevere the more unintermittently in these three. Almost his main object with the members of the congregation was 
to form this virtue of stability in them. He did not readily give them leave to go out of Rome under pretext of change of air, especially if it was for a long time, or to go to their own country. For he said, Devotion is, is relaxed and lost among relations. A man gains nothing, and when he returns, he mostly makes a hardship of resuming the usual exercises and going back to his former life and putting a strainer upon himself. There was a youth of most excellent qualities who entered into the congregation and gave great hopes in succeeding admirably. It happened that he was afflicted with some bodily indisposition for which change of air was recommended. The Holy Father did not, did not, did not relish this, but the youth be being importunate about it, especially as he wished to go into company with other members of the congregation who had some necessary occasion to leave Rome, the saint humbly retracted his refusal and gave him leave because of his importunity. But he said to some, Two you see going away, but only one will come back. And so it proved, for the youth went into the country, and overcome by the love of home, returned no more. Philip, however, wrote him a letter, of which I subjoin an extract, The saint's desire may be better seen from his own words. I wish that you had not left so soon, and that when you had left, you had not stayed so long with flesh and blood, amidst the love of mother and brothers, especially looking at the example of San Marco and San Marcellano, who, having been bold through many martyrdoms, so to speak, were at last close upon denying Christ through love of father and mother, and would have done so if San Sebastiano had not strengthened them with his holy words. And in the end, he adds, Now, then, it is for you to decide whether you will stay or come back, for we do not want pressed men here. Father Giovanni Antonio Lucci, who, was already, who was, has already been mentioned, left to go to Bagnaria, his native place. The saint tried to detain him, saying, Giovanni Antonio, do not go, for I know what I say. And he added, Putuego quod spiritum dei abeam. Lucci went notwithstanding, fell in love with home, and never returned to the congregation. The same thing happened to some others, who went home against his will. Some of them died while they were there, and others returned no more to the congregation. He was also reluctant to give his subjects to go and found congregations in other cities. He wished them to remain perseveringly in the congregation of Rome, and attend to the best of their power to the discharge of their duties in it. How strong this feeling was in him may be easily be collected from a letter he wrote to St. Charles Borromeo, whom he tenderly loved and greatly revered. St. Charles had asked for some of his subjects to transplant Thorn to Milan, and Philip answered, These students are yet unripe, and I cannot see my way to taking them from their studies. I think I should make a mistake in doing so. And a little further on, he, he adds, The ripe ones I cannot send you, for we are too much in want of them here. And for them I toil and tremble when I have made choice of them to send them anywhere, or put any kind of charge upon them. And I recommend myself most earnestly to God. From this we may see how averse he was to removing any of his, of an, any of his subjects from the congregation of Rome. I guess that didn't contain as much about the things Philip endured, <laughs> but focused more on stability. And it might seem a strange way to, to begin a discussion on, uh, on perseverance, but this was really at the, the heart of the oratorian charism, that the external perseverance would spill over then into the internal perseverance in spiritual practices. And so Philip saw a kind of roaming spirit as, as harmful to the spiritual life. 
It's by remaining in that one place, allowing those spiritual practices to develop, staying with one uh, spiritual guide and confessor throughout the course of years, remaining with the same group of people, that this allows a kind of deepening of one's spiritual life to take place and formation to take place. And so much so that Philip didn't even want uh, people to go away on vacation or to get out of Rome to get some fresh air and never left, as you heard, Rome himself after, after coming there at a tender age, I think of like 18 or 19. So uh, all vacations at this point are canceled. <laughs> Paul was supposed to go tonight, but, uh, but he, you know, it might seem a little jarring. <laughs> he always has that nervous little giggle. <laughs> it might seem a little jarring, especially what the author says about family life. But I think, even for myself, going home on vacation, there can be a tendency to take a vacation from the spiritual life. That there is a kind of routine, order to our spiritual life and our prayer life that we can develop over time. And to remove oneself from that is an adjustment. You almost have to prepare yourself when you're going home to visit family because they don't have the same schedule as you. I remember for years going when I'd go home, my dad would use my divine office uh, as his coffee holder. <laughs> <laughs> and would always say, what are you doing, boy, reading the Bible again? And I said, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. So, <laughs> it was all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there was no negative spirit there, but there, there was a different pace of life and a different, different sensibilities at work. And certainly going from the oratory where you have your own chapel and uh, a common life, a common prayer life as well as a personal prayer life where there's an order to that and then to pick yourself up and move out of that to the retired life out in the country, it, you have to prepare yourself to make that Adjustment, And I think Philip saw this very well, that to remove oneself from the oratory, to remove oneself from that environment where one would be growing spiritually, especially if they, as he, were, as he said, were unripe in the sense that they weren't very experienced, that there was a danger there that they would fall in love again with the things of the world or home or the country life, that they would let go of that discipline that they had committed themselves, that they let go of the plow to which they had placed their, their hand. And often that was the case. A person who would remove himself for too long of a period of time, or at a young age, would uh, fall out of the influence of, of that common life and the support of it, and then, uh, then their spiritual life would diminish, or perhaps their vocation to the community altogether. And so stability is something important, that external stability, but also a stability that allows for an internal formation, uh, very much of what I was speaking about earlier, that living in the midst of a group of people where you have to struggle with your own selfishness, your own narcissism, uh, your own incapacity to love, your own laziness and negligence, you know, day in and day out, the, your unwillingness to forgive when someone slights you or doesn't treat you in the way that you would, would like, that this is the battleground for us in terms of growth and sanctity. And the same would be true in, in marriage, that you commit yourself to that relationship for life, and it's in the context of that relationship that one's sanctity 
is, is found. That day in, day out, that you love each other, even when the, the romance perhaps isn't as, as present, the person is no longer fascinating, but sort of rude and... <laughs> <laughs> I won't go any further than that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's there, you know, day in, day out, that uh, marriage in particular becomes sacramental. It's being faithful to that bond and loving the person, having a generosity in that love that then one experiences an inflow of the grace of God in a greater capacity to live that commitment out. And the same is true in the common life for the oratorian. It's that promise of stability that you have to, on a daily, uh, daily basis, say yes to love. That yes, I want to be here, not because I'm forced here by vow, but because I want to be here in charity. And it's because it's here that I believe that God has brought me. And you allow the common life then to form and, and shape you. And it's precisely through perseverance that that takes place. <clears throat> Not trying to control and manipulate the realities of day-to-day -day life, but entering into them with eyes wide open, conscious of the will of God, the presence of God, and then also willfully embracing the grace that he offers us. It's, it was interesting in that quote from the Carthusian. He talks about it being a passive reality, but also something that's engaged in with great force. So it's, things are happening to us. Our hearts and our love are being purified, but it's also something that we enter into with force. We do violence to ourselves, as it were. We willfully embrace the grace of God, and we enter into those circumstances as fully as we can. And in this we imitate Christ. He could see what was going to take place at the hands of his persecutors. He could see and understand the will of God in it, and willfully embraces it, moves forward, takes up the cross for, for our salvation. And so when we are going through those day-to-day -day trials and difficulties, these are the things that we want to have consciously in mind. Our, our tendency is going to be, I want to run. I want to get away from this. This is painful. This is difficult. And there's something natural about that. We shrink back from painful experiences. But it, the cross teaches us that our, we have to step back from that and say no. No to running and yes to the will of God. And that we do this in imitation of Christ and in union with him. That again, this is something that is beautiful about our Catholic faith and about our participation <laughs> so radically in the life of Christ through our reception of the Holy Eucharist. We become one body with him. And so all that we experience, all the sufferings, the trials that we endure, are united to his own in love. This is the precious gift that he's given to us. And so we aren't just coming up to receive something abstract to us. We're coming up to receive communion in order that we might enter into that reality more and more fully, the reality of the love of the cross. And having received that love, then we're able to give ourselves more, more fully over to the will of God in our own lives. And this is when we be really begin to experience a deep and profound intimacy with, with Christ, when we no longer run from the cross, but we embrace it and persevere through it. And that's not an easy thing to do. It's seasoned souls that are able to do that. And again, Philip was very conscious of that. You know, those who aren't ripe yet, that fruit that hasn't had 
an opportunity to mature isn't going to be able to see and understand this. So it's necessary to have uh, a regular director, a regular confessor, where you can talk about these things in order to remain on, on the path of sanctity. And so at this point, I want to go on to what Philip uh, offers us in terms of our day-to-day -day life in regards to fostering uh, perseverance. But before we do so, any questions or comments on what has been said so far? Yes? So how might we define uh, stability against situations that we maybe need to where it's sort of an, an unnecessary taking on of violence? Right. We're not called, it's a good question, we're not called to a masochism, certainly. So if we're into in, a, in an abusive relationship, for example, that, that might necessitate over time, certainly, of withdrawing from that. And yet for the, the Christian, there would always be a kind of discernment that goes along with that, that staying close to the sacraments, having a deep prayer life, seeking out counsel, living a good holy life, having purity of heart so that we can discern clearly that we have a kind of discretion. And it's not that Philip felt that there was never any room for that kind of change, but he knew the importance of having a kind of discernment that allows us to see things truly. And often when we're suffering, that's when we see things uh, not at all often. We, we don't see the truth of it. It's only when we have that kind of purity of heart and a deep prayer life that we can see, okay, this is the providence of God. This is the cross I'm called to take up and enter into it fully. And so it wasn't something blind for, for Philip. I think it's entering into those realities of our life with eyes wide open. And the way that we do that is by having that purity of heart and having that deep prayer life and intimacy with him that allows us to say yes in such a profound way, with such a clarity and confidence, because we know him, we know his love, we are living very closely in that relationship with him. And so we can enter into those situations with, with full confidence. I think when we, you know, again, when our relationship with God is an abstraction, when there is no prayer life, we're, you know, we're living uh, perhaps a life that's rooted in sin or we're struggling with certain sins, we aren't going to see things clearly. And so that's where we need counsel and confession to help us get there. But the, the point's well taken, that it's not stability for stability's own sake. It's stability in order to grow in holiness and grow in intimacy with the Lord. You know, this is in a fraternity, in other words. You know, this, there's a way that we enter into this that is meant to be a pursuit of, of holiness of life. And insofar as disorder, it becomes an impediment to that, then we would have to discern you know, very, very well whether or not we're meant to be there. But even then, it's hard. Sometimes there can be profound disorder in relationships and religious communities where we are called to persevere and endure the suffering of that for the sake of the healing of that community or the healing of that relationship. And so that's, again, you know, we need great counsel in that because it can be very difficult, especially when the cross is heavy. Any other comments or questions before we move on? Okay.
Well, we open up the little booklet I prepared for you. The red print is just a little introductory material I've put together, and then we'll go into Philip's teaching. We'll treat this again as a kind of group Lexio Divina, so I encourage you to you know, just circle things, underline things that uh, stand out for you or that you would want to talk more about, and so don't hesitate to ask questions or offer comments. We continue during this 500th anniversary of St. Philip Neri's birth to consider his life and teachings. In the most gentle and thoughtful fashion, Philip sought to revitalize the faith of Catholics that had grown slack from neg neglect and from lack of guidance. He had the capacity to present the fullness of the spiritual traditions of the church in the most appealing manner. Rooted in experience and common sense, Philip's teaching was both accessible and practical. Such is the topic at hand, perseverance. Having begun the spiritual life, or even appearing to have made great strides, is of little consequence. The important thing is to persevere to the end of one's life. So there's a saying among oratorians that you only know a good oratorian when he has died, when he's persevered throughout the course of his life. He might seem holy, uh, and might even you know, be living a holy life. But as an oratorian, part of that holiness is the perseverance and the vocation to say yes for life and to remain here until one's death. And so you only know a really good oratorian when he's dead. <laughs> and the joke is, uh, it's not the same thing as the only good oratorian is a dead oratorian. <laughs> but we, we've only had one oratorian from this house die. And, and that has persevered. And so we're, we're a very young community as far as that goes. We'll see who's next. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm turning 50 this year. I'm feeling, I'm feeling the pain of it. This means to be measured in one's thinking and action, making use of discretion and understanding that spiritual development and growth does not take place in a day. It is a great labor we undertake, and those lacking wisdom and prudence will often quit the course. So there's always this kind of danger, again, in our culture that wants things quickly, that there's an expectation that from our spiritual practices we'll see immediate fruit. And when we don't, there's a tendency to step off of the course. We'll enter into Eucharistic adoration or going to daily Mass, and you know we'll find ourselves fatigued from it or still struggling with the same sins or and so we'll let go of of the discipline not realizing that sometimes sometimes spiritual disciplines only the fruit of them are only manifested years later maybe decades think about it, meditating upon the scriptures daily to really open one's mind and the heart to the god's word the heart is only going to be formed and shaped by that word over time in the sense that we're able to, to understand the wisdom of God as he would have us understand it, not simply in accord with our own human wisdom. And so sometimes it can be decades down the road when something that we've meditated on years before comes to, to full light. But if we hadn't engaged in that discipline, if we hadn't per persevered in it, we would never know those fruits. And so this, I think, is a real struggle in our, our culture, you know, that we, we want things very quickly and in the spiritual life, you know, there isn't any 15 quick steps to holiness. There's no self-help book in the spiritual life that is going to get us there quickly. It's, 
only going to be over the course of our whole life that we see the greatest fruit. Beyond this, the path must not be taken alone, but rather with a trusted guide and confessor. The most important of these guides, who nurtures us and educates us in the mysteries of the faith, is Mary, the mother of God. So, you know, Philip knew that, you know, to try to walk the spiritual life alone was fraught with dangers. And even to walk with others that aren't really living a holy life is dangerous too. The blind leading the blind both will fall into a pit. That it's important to have someone who's truly living the life and has led the life for a long period of time that we can talk to about our, our spiritual life and the struggles that we're dealing with. Someone that has insight into the, the struggles that we have. And again, not just in accord with human wisdom, but with divine wisdom. Someone whose heart has really been formed by the grace of God, shaped by the word of God, strengthened by the, the grace of the sacraments, that this is what we would want to have and have that same person, if possible, over the course of years. We talked about this before, Philip Neary having people come to him for confession over the course of 30 or even 40 years. And you think what a great gift that is, that how well Philip would have known that individual, their particular struggles, and the counsel that he may have been able to give them very quickly or in a subtle way just because he knew their, their hearts so well. And again, this is a difficult thing in our culture. People move so frequently that it's hard to stay with any particular confessor or spiritual director. And so what, what do we do about that? Certainly God doesn't abandon an individual who's seeking to be faithful, but it's, it's very difficult to, to walk the spiritual life alone. And Philip puts before us Mary as the greatest of spiritual guides. In today's gospel, uh, the daily mass, many were here for uh, the morning mass where Brother Paul preached, and he spoke about this, or I'm sorry, Deacon Paul, preached about this, of Mary uh, holding all of these things within her heart, all the mysteries of the life of Christ. And in particular, this was the mystery of uh, they're going to Jerusalem for Passover, and uh, is that, that's the gospel that we, we read, and Christ remaining there, I must be about my father's business, he tells her. And then the end of the Gospels that Mary holds all these things, ponders all these things within her heart. That as God bears, she who bore within herself the incarnate word of God, and as one whose heart was so conformed to his by grace, she knows and understands his life more than any spiritual guide could offer us or, or show us. And so this is why, for us as Catholics, the, the rosary is such a powerful devotion that we meditate upon the mysteries from Christ's life in union with Mary and through her intercession, knowing that she will guide us more and more deeply into those mysteries in, in a mystical kind of fashion. And we certainly have to engage in a deep life of prayer, meditate upon those realities from the life of Christ, but to turn to her, to seek her intercession, to guide us along the path, we could find no better, we could find no better guide. And this is a hard thing for many people to embrace uh, with, with faith, you know, to understand that that relationship with Mary as mother, as one who nurtures us 
in the life of faith is something concrete and tangible for us. And as a convert to Catholicism, you know, that was something that I had never been exposed to. But there is a real beauty to it, to it, that God has not left us alone in that journey. He certainly provides us with the grace that he's needed, but he's also given us the greatest of spiritual guides, the saints, and most of all, Mary, Mary herself. Uh, John Paul II called her the inexhaustible memory of the church, that she holds all those deep mysteries within, within herself and can guide us along the path of faith. Okay. Our food for the journey must be the grace of the sacraments, in particular frequent confession and daily mass, whenever there is no impediment to such discipline. So we don't trust our, simply in our own strength or our own goodwill, that we know and humbly acknowledge our own incapacity to live out the gospel in its fullness except by the grace of God. And so we bring ourselves to those wellsprings of grace, those sources of grace that Christ has given to us, that we are forgiven of our sins in the most concrete, tangible way through confession. We're given that grace in order that we might step back into the spiritual life fully. We're strengthened daily by the, the Holy Eucharist in order that we might become more and more conformed to Christ. And so, again, Philip is very practical in what he places before us as aids to perseverance. It's what the church teaches, that we take hold of what is before us and what will bear most fruit for us. And the things that bear most fruit for us is what Christ himself has given to us. While never relinquishing our resolutions, Philip counsels moderation in spiritual disciplines we take upon ourselves, always sure never to overestimate our strength. It is better to attend those practices well tried, attend to those practices well tried, and that will bear fruit for us in time. So there is a tendency, especially among Catholics, to multiply devotions because we have so many beautiful things available for us that our tradition offers us, that there can be this tendency to think that we need to multiply those things, and in the mere multiplication of them, there is spiritual growth. And so there can be a subtle deceit in that. And so Philip's counsel, like so many uh, before and after him, is not to take on many things, but rather those things that bear great fruit and seek to live them and embrace them as perfectly as possible. So daily Mass unless there is some real impediment, that we would go to the source and summit of our faith, that where we see, receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. We receive all that we need to live the life in all of its fullness, that we would seek to avail ourselves of that grace above all things, and that we would adjust our schedule, do everything in our power to make that a possibility, to receive our daily bread daily, unless there is some legitimate impediment. And the same is true with confession, that it would not be an episodic experience for us, but that we, again, knowing our own poverty, our own failure to love as we should, that we would seek to renew that relationship with Christ in order that we might love more perfectly, and so that we would receive from his hand the forgiveness and the grace that we need to step back fully into the life. 
finally, it is love of the virtues pursued that brings us to the desired end. And we must hold on in the struggle and in the midst of failures, not seeking consolation for ourselves, but rather to please God who alone can bring us to a happy end. So this is something I think we often miss within the spiritual life, the importance of loving the virtues for themselves, that these are gifts of God and something to be cherished. We should love chastity. We should love uh, developing the virtue of piety by engaging in our spiritual life more and more fully. We should love patience and so pray that God would give us the grace to to live it more fully when we're struggling with it. Uh, it's only when we love that, those virtues, that we really s seek them out fully. I think often we get into this struggle in the spiritual life where we experience our poverty. We're falling into anger or lustfulness over and over again. And we hate that sin, and we hate the way that it makes us feel. It's a blow to our self-esteem. It humbles us. But often we never get past that point. We hate it, we despise it, it makes us feel small. We know we're not living the Christ-like life, but we never make any progress. And part of it is because we don't truly desire and love or want the virtue. There's a certain pleasure that comes from releasing our anger on someone, or a certain pleasure that comes by satisfying our, our desires of the, of the flesh whether it be physically or even through the life of fantasy. And so it's hard to not only come to hate what that does to us in our spiritual life, but then to desire its opposite, to pray daily, God, give me the, the graces that uh, I need and you desire for me, but more, help me to desire those virtues for themselves, not because I'm getting any consolation from them, you know, the, the virtue of chastity might not bring us much consolation. We might suffer from you know, the experience of a kind of emptiness or loneliness at times, and we're not running to satisfy that in this or that way. And so we can know a kind of poverty, emotional and spiritual. And so we, we really have to love the virtue because we know that it is also some, something that deepens our capacity to love others and to love God. And so that's what ultimately makes us, allows us to take that further step in the spiritual life. As confessor, you know, I think it's a privileged experience to be there, but you see the, the struggle for this last one in particular, that there, psychologically there's a blow, a real blow to our self-esteem. And sometimes we will go to confession to relieve that emotional feeling and the, the anxiety that goes along along with that. Not so much because we desire to live the life of holiness, but to be relieved of the, the shame, in other words, that we might experience. And I'm not being critical of that. Certainly, you know, we might know a deep sorrow because of our sin and, and because of the consequence of it, but we really want to be seeking something far more that we want to live the life of virtue because it is something that's pleasing to God and something that is in accord with His will. Any comments before we move on to the main text itself? Any questions? <laughs>
Yes. I guess I would just ask, uh, with regards to developing a love of virtue, it's obviously not the same as reading a book and acquiring kind of more uh, insight or knowledge about something, just changing your mind. Right. It's deeply affective, and so um, perhaps some of those things that would contribute over the course of the time to developing a love of our hearts. Right. Right. So, you know, fostering a sense of real piety and engaging in the spiritual life that we develop an experiential knowledge uh, of the beauty of, of those virtues, where we begin to taste something of their, of their sweetness, like of, of chastity in particular, that in our culture, as we've talked so often in the Wednesday night group, it's a hyper-sexualized culture that people are bombarded on a daily basis through computers, television, through the radio, and so it's very hard to keep one's thoughts directed towards God and that which is holy. And it requires a, a, a depth of prayer and watchfulness of heart, where we, as Paul says, take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. It's only by embracing that discipline, struggling with it, living it for a long time, that we begin to taste something of the fruit of that discipline. And so begin to, to desire it more and more for ourselves because we see that it's something pleasing to God, but also, again, that gives us a greater capacity to love, that we cease to objectify others, or we cease to pursue those things simply to satisfy our emotional needs and begin to seek to live the life of holiness purely for love of God. And when a person begins to taste that, then they begin to desire those virtues more, more and more. Any other thoughts, comments? I'm willing to wait. <laughs> sure, hand going up. Okay, let's move on to the text. <laughs> we'll move through some of this. Uh, we've touched upon some of it, so uh, we'll move through some of it fairly quickly. Not he who shall begin, but that shall persevere unto the end. He shall be saved. And Christ himself says this, you know, make sure that your endurance carries you all the way. It is your perseverance, through your perseverance, that you will be saved. The principal lesson which the Holy Father gave, and which he frequently repeated as the most important, since the fulfillment of all the rest depends upon it, was the necessity of holy perseverance. Therefore, let these words of Christ, which St. Philip had constantly in his mouth, sink into our hearts and be indelibly impressed upon them. Not he who shall begin, but he that shall persevere unto the end, he shall be saved. The Holy Father used to say that to begin to walk in the spiritual life was no great matter, but that perseverance was the important thing. So, you know, again, you know, not overestimating ourselves, even after having lived uh, a spiritual life for a fairly long time, or make, making some gains in, in the life of virtue, that we, we don't want to get to a point where we become negligent in, in the spiritual life, that we have to persevere in that struggle on a day-to-day -day basis. The means of perseverance. St. Philip declares discretion to be the best means for attaining holy perseverance and perfection. Therefore, we must not wish to do everything in one day nor desire to become saints in four days. 
since perfection cannot be acquired without great labor. The saint used to laugh at people who, having a little spirituality, think it a great thing, and said that it seemed to him more difficult to moderate those who wish to do too much than to excite those who do too little. So, in his day, there was a tendency for those to take upon themselves uh, many different things in the spiritual life and to see in those, as, in those things some sign of great growth and virtue. And he knew the illusion of that, that all those things could fall away very quickly once one begins to experience trials or, or becomes uh, fatigued or struggles with uh, particular temptations. People can drop their devotions in a moment. And so Philip knew that the, the spiritual life had to be tested and purified over time. The Holy Master exhorts us continually to entreat the Lord of his goodness to grant us the gift of perseverance. And we may say every day, five potters and five aves, which the Holy Father introduced into evening prayers of the oratory, that his divine majesty may grant us perseverance in his holy service. So he introduced into the spiritual practices of the fathers of the oratory uh, additional prayers that were dedicated to seeking perseverance. So much did he value this virtue and see it as important for this spiritual life, that on a daily basis we would be praying to God for the grace to persevere in the life that he's called us to. And, you know, it might seem simple to us, but for me there's a profound wisdom in, in that, that on, with a kind of constancy we would be bringing to mind the virtue that is most necessary for growth in the spiritual life. Again, knowing our own inconstancy, that daily we would need this reminder and these prayers to remain steadfast in our, in our resolutions. That a great resolution in the spiritual life could be made in an impassioned moment or when we experience some consolation. God, I'm going to make a holy hour every day. And then we can see it slip away the moment it becomes inconvenient to us or becomes difficult or boring to us. The saint declared that for the acquisition of the holy gift of perseverance, perseverance in prayer is one of the best means. There's also the never leaving a confessor after having once chosen him with mature deliberation and much prayer. And so we, we touched upon this a, a little bit already. Know, perseverance and prayer, that you know, it is important to make specific resolutions in the spiritual life, that we can expect the spiritual life to be a spontaneous thing, that if we have true faith, then it will naturally arise from us. And there, there's an illusion in that, that often uh, engaging in a life of prayer can be a painful thing and something that has to be forced that we have to make ourselves pray, get to the chapel, to remain in prayer, even when we're not receiving any cons uh, consolation or we're fighting distraction. Or when we're busy, the temptation will be to let go of that discipline. And so there, there has to be this willingness to, to make those specific resolutions, to hold ourselves to them. If we fall away from them, confess it, acknowledge it, and then step right back into it. Uh, maybe you've had this experience. I think after we 
fall into a particular sin or we let go of a resolution, we'll become discouraged and we'll put off going to confession for a longer period of time. And so that negligence, that period of time where our discipline wanes will be very long. It's important for us in the spiritual life when we see ourselves falling away and not persevering that we we immediately seek to step back into it. We acknowledge it in the most concrete way. We go to confession and then we step by the grace of God back into the spiritual life fully. And we do that as often as it is necessary. You know, confession shouldn't be something that we fear or again do infrequently. You know, Philip, uh, as we've mentioned before, uh, encouraged people to go to confession frequently, some once a week, sometimes some, for some people even more depending on what they were struggling with in order that they might avail themselves of the grace of God but also remain steadfast in, in their resolutions that they wouldn't become discouraged we can pause there for a second anybody have any comments or questions this all perfectly clear perfectly you're right on board there Michelle okay Okay, where am I? Okay, he exhorts us to have a devotion to the Most Holy Mother of God, this devotion being, as he says, necessary to our beginning and ending well. For the same end of perseverance, the Holy Master exhorts us to hear Mass every morning when there is no impediment. Let us frequently renew our good resolutions, nor ever relinquish them, whatever temptations may arise. The saint says that it is not well to burden ourselves with many spiritual exercises, adding that some persons by degrees take up the practice of saying so many rosaries and offices that after a time they grow weary and discontinue them, or if they continue, say them without devotion. He counsels us to take a little upon us, but never to intermit that little. For if the devil can induce us only to omit an exercise, he can easily make us omit the second and then a third till at last we come to do nothing. Therefore, St. Philip goes on to say, do not let a day pass without doing some good during it. We must not pass over our devotions on every slight occasion. You know, in the spiritual life, often our spiritual disciplines and prayer are pretty far down the agenda. And when our prayer life becomes a part of a checklist, we're in, in very real danger. It can't be something that's set aside other things in our day-to-day -day life. Our resolution to exercise cannot be the same and have the same weight as our resolution to pray. Exercise is a good thing to maintain our health, but having a prayer life and a relationship with our God is essential for our salvation. And so we shouldn't let off of those resolutions in a light way. And often, you know, people are going out to see a movie or we're tired, feeling a little tired uh, from the day or something came up that prevented us from praying at the time we wanted. And so we'll let that day go by with either no prayer or much less than we know that we are called to. And again, we have to really fight against that tendency in the sense that if, if we were prevented for some reason, that we would still seek to do it at another time of the day. 
And sometimes even if that would mean burning the, the midnight oil, we're willing to do that for so many other things, you know, whether it's drinking beer with the buddies or, or watching television or doing our studies. But oftentimes when it comes to our spiritual life, we're not willing to do that. I'm too tired, you know, or I'm too busy, you know, or I'm exhausted. And whereas prayer should be a resource for us, a source of strength, we'll often step away from it and impoverish ourselves all the more. So again, this might seem simple, but there, there are counsels that I think are often neglected in the spiritual life. It should be common sense to us that this is what has the priority in, in our spiritual life and that we can't let it go and we have to avoid the temptation to let it go. And if it's not conscious for us, if it's not in our mind to think in this way, then we're very easily going to let go of one period of prayer and then another, as he says, and then finally we'll have nothing at all. This is what makes it very difficult to make any gains in the spiritual life because we do it so often without really seeing what we're doing or seeking to make changes that would help us grow. As to young persons, the Holy Father says that it is necessary to their perseverance and virtue that they should avoid evil deeds and accompany their good practices by the frequent use of the sacraments. Nor must we readily believe them when they show great spirituality. For when St. Philip was told of some young people who seemed to walk well in this spiritual way, he replied, let them be fledged and we shall see how they shall fly adding that he would undertake the lead to lead a person into great spirituality, but that perseverance was the important thing. So, when we look at the, the writings of, say, like the Desert Fathers or some of the other great spiritual writers in the tradition, we'll often see like the desert monks, people coming to them to receive guidance and counsel. And the the monks often testing their, their resolve, telling them flat out, no, or go away, I don't do that, kind of stuff. And to see if they persevere, that they come back, that there's a true desire there guiding their, their, their want of counsel, that people can seek it out out of curiosity. They can seek to understand the spiritual life out of curiosity in order to be able to talk about it with others, not necessarily to live it. And so Philip says, let them be fledged. Let, let them, let's see if they can fly. Let's throw them out of the nest <coughs> and see if they're able to maintain the spiritual life or if they falter to see if this spiritual life is genuine or still weak. And, you know, for priests in particular or future priests, you know, there's a responsibility to counsel people on a daily basis, whether it's in the confessional or more directly. And it is important, I think, to try to, to foster this sense of the spiritual life, that you know, the, the good feelings, the enthusiasm may be important, but those are things that quickly wane. And you want to try to lay a foundation that is going to support help others support themselves in, in the spiritual life. And everything that Philip puts forward here, I think, is that foundation, firm resolution, perseverance, 
in those disciplines, having a good counsel, having good counsel, a regular confessor, frequent frequenting the, conf uh, the sacraments, all of these things are the foundation upon which to build. And, you know, there is this fascination in our day with the extraordinary or the unusual, you know, locutions or speaking, you know, in, in tongues or extraordinary things. And not that those never happen, but the, the spiritual life isn't built upon them. They might help deepen the faith or arouse desire for God, but they're not going to be the things that help a person persevere in the difficulties and trials for the long haul. And, you know, affect is important in order to foster that desire for God, but there also has to be discipline in the spiritual life that helps maintain it. Okay. Any comments or? Yes. What do parents do when you try to lay that foundation and then you let the children go and see if they fly and they like walking on the ground? I don't want to fly. <laughs> well, I told my sister, beatings every day, whether it's needed or not. <laughs> she never took that counsel. <laughs> but, you know, with, there has to be a freedom, freedom there. That love is not something that can be forced or compelled. That I think parents do everything that they can to help lay this foundation, most of all by their personal example, more than by their words. And that's the hard thing. You know, to understand that your children are individuals. They have their own will and their own freedom. And the best that you can do for them is to pray for them, but more importantly, to live the life and become that profound example. There's nothing more powerful than seeing a father on his knees at the end of the bed praying every day or going to daily Mass. And there might even be a time when they reject that. You know, when they are establishing their own individual identity, often the way that they will do that is by separating themselves from their parents and rejecting all that they hold dear. And they might do that for a long period of time. And so to have the kind of patience and perseverance in your prayer life and sacrifices on their behalf, that, you know, hoping that they will again, step back into that faith life as an adult. I think the problem that parents get into is that they don't form their children when they're young. You know, the illusion now, well, I'll let them decide when they're old enough. Well, what you're doing there is allowing the culture to form them. You want them to be informed so that they can make decisions where they understand the faith. You know, many people leave the Catholic faith simply because they don't know it. They don't know what they're leaving. They're rejecting something that they don't know. And so they reject a precious gift. And so I think parents would want to, to form their children from the earliest of ages to appreciate that, you know, to have them, you know, to not only pray to go, you know, at Mass on Sunday, but to have a culture that you create within the home that fosters this identity. The, the, the family is the domestic church. And so within the home, there should be a spiritual life and culture that is clear and identifiable. There was a little video on Facebook. <laughs> I always end up using an example from Facebook. I'm almost ashamed to do it every group. But, uh, I was, it was of a little orthodox 
boy, Orthodox Christian, that is. And, you know, and he was in his bedroom, and he was doing all the prostrations and chanting the prayers. And you think, you know, he didn't, you know, his parents had to show him that by example in order that it wouldn't just be him mimicking them, although that's part of it, imitating them. But there was a point there that you could see that this is something that he had already begun to embrace even as a little child. And you think how important that is going to be, you know, when he ages, even when he rejects, you know, or if he rejects that faith, it's still within him. No matter how far a person goes away from the church, the light of Christ is still within, within them and can be set ablaze at any moment. And so to have a child that's been well-formed, even if they reject the faith at some point, you know, they might encounter someone who enlivens that for them, or the grace of God might come upon them through their own sufferings and trials where it's, it's awakened again, their faith is awakened, and then they can take hold of that formation, that good formation that they do have. I think the problem now is what we're seeing is that there's been, there have been a couple of generations of Catholics that have not been well formed within the faith. And so you can't assume anything in that regard in terms of a knowledge of the faith or uh, you know, the belief in the real presence of Christ and the Blessed Sacrament, nothing. And so you know, the, revitaliza the revitalization of the faith the new evangelization is going to needs to begin in the home. You know, like the Jesuits said, you know, get them when they're they're young. You know, that's where you begin the, the formation process, so that when they're older, they, they can embrace it fully. I don't know if that answered the question or not. Okay. Any other thoughts or comments? Okay. St. Philip exhorts us to guard against small faults and gives this as a reason for doing so, that if we once begin to go back and despise those faults, the conscience becomes bloated and all goes to ruin. It's a funny statement, isn't it? Almost, it doesn't seem to make sense when you first read it. But I think what he's saying here is that if we let small faults build up within us, which we often will do, we'll you know, be sort of negligent in that regard. You know, we'll allow ourselves a little leeway. You know, oh, I'm basically a good person. You know, I can do this, I can watch that. And we'll let these little small faults build up within us. And we then can become, come to a realization at some point that we're really not living the life of faith and our conscience will rebuke us because of it. And when it does so, because we've, let so many things slide. We've embraced so many of those small, uh, small faults. He says our conscience becomes bloated, and then we fall into ruin because we fall into discouragement. We see that we've really not been living the life at all, and so if we aren't guarding ourselves and not seeking to live that life of holiness, we actually place ourselves in jeopardy. There's no staying in a static position in the spiritual life. You know, if we aren't seeking to draw near to Christ, it, we're going to be drawn, as it were, downstream or drawn away from Him. And if our conscience becomes lax 
and we begin to embrace those things that are contrary to the faith, eventually there will be something that opens our eyes. We'll fall into a greater sin, and then all of our, our negligence in those areas will be illuminated. And when it's illuminated, it can really be a blow to our, our self-esteem and then make us fall into a kind of despair about the spiritual life. We must frequent the Holy Sacraments and never amend confession on the appointed days. We should hear Mass every morning when there is no impediment for doing so. And this, as has been said, is one of the means of obtaining perseverance. We must read spiritual books, especially the lives of the saints. We must frequent the oratory. <laughs> underline, underline. <laughs> Which means that we must persevere in its exercises. So, read spiritual books. That it's the saints that spur us on in the spiritual life. When we read about their trials, what they, they went through, how they sought Christ, their desire, their love for Him. This is what stirs the desire within us to love Christ more fully. If you read somebody like Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Avila, you, know, you see the, the depth of that love for the Lord, and it creates within us a desire to, to seek the same. And so we want to read the scriptures that will do the same for us as well, but also to be look at how the scriptures, the, the gospels, lived out, how it becomes concrete in our world, how others lived it and lived it fully. This is what puts within us a greater desire for the Lord. And then to participate in the exercises of the oratory that, you know, Philip purposely, he created that stability for a reason, but also that he might maintain the simple things that are important for the spiritual life. And you heard of them in Brother Peter's reading. It's the life of prayer, familiar discourse on the Word of God, and the administration of the sacraments. That this, these are the three pillars that Philip wanted to base his life on and have other members of the community base their life upon as well. Not to become distracted, but to simply pursue Christ through the most profound means that he's given to us. And so, you know, we don't, there's, you know, that book by uh, Thomas Merton, No Man is an Island, and uh, the idea is, you know, as, as Christians, we don't pursue the, the spiritual life in isolation. We don't run the race alone, and if we do so, we're going to be hobbled in living the Christian life. We're part of a community, a body, more rightly said, and we want to, to live that life in communion with others. And this is where we find strength. When we're faltering, if we're seeking to live the Christian life in isolation, who's going to lift us up? And so in marriages in particular, it is important that spouses be seeking to live the spiritual life fully because when, they're, when their spouse one, begins to falter or is going through a trial, the other is there to lift them up through prayer and encouragement. And the same is in the common life, that there's an encouragement to pursue the life of, of holiness and the love love of Christ. And this, this sense of community, I think, has been lost in a dramatic way. Parishes used to be the cultural centers of little towns, you know, that this is where people would gather and support each other in their day-to-day -day life as well as in their spiritual life. And with, you know, the breakdown 
of our, our culture and society. Now everybody's moved out to the suburbs. It's weird when I go home to my parents. You, this, this beautiful neighborhood out in the country, there's not a kid to be seen. I don't see anybody when I'm there. I'm thinking, where in the heck are these people? There are all these beautiful houses, and it's like a ghost town. But everybody's inside on their computer, you know, playing video games or doing something else. There's no sense of neighbors knowing each other. And I, I think the same is true within our, our parishes often, that, you know, often people are strangers to each other. They share this common belief and faith, which is most important in the celebration of, of the Eucharist. But again, it can be a very isolating experience for people. And in fact, this is why a lot of people end up leaving the church, because they often feel that there isn't that sense of support there and, and living out the life fully. So it is important, Philip Saul, to have these, to participate in these specific exercises at the oratory and to do so regularly in order that we might be strengthened in the faith, but also help strengthen others in their faith. We can't do this, live the, the Christian life in an egocentric kind of way, a God and me kind of thing. It's, that's not the reality for us. Any comments about this? Yes? So, uh, what are some ways that people that who, who are don't live in a community or are not married or how do they get involved in in <laughs> <laughs> something like this or to even establish it yourself and you know I, I think the church has even encouraged that you know in, in the sense of the study of scriptures together book reading groups going to mass with others youth young adult groups you know, that we seek to find new ways to uh, address what is lacking within the church, often because of the cultural shifts that have taken place. That you know, people's connection to the church and to their parish isn't the same as it once was. And so you have to seek out places where you're going to be nourished in the spiritual life. And so, in, in some ways, there's a greater responsibility put on Christians and Catholics in our own day to really pursue the, the spiritual life and to find ways that they can be supported in, in living out that faith. And so, that means taking your spiritual life seriously and looking for places where you can be educated in the faith, but also supported in the spiritual life. And I think that's where we're blessed here at the oratory. You know, there is a kind of permanency here. You know, Father Drew's been here for over 35 years. I've been here for 30. And, you know, when you're in the same place for a long time, you can begin to establish things like perpetual adoration. You can have a place like this. Groups offered for adults. Fami faces become familiar. And so you begin to find ways to establish. And this is what Philip did in his own day. There was a breakdown just like we see today. And so he started all these exercises in Rome, especially at those times of the day when people were most vulnerable. He started the pilgrimage to the seven churches, uh, the exercises at the oratory where there would be the daily homilies, multiple hom homilies daily, frequent confession, daily mass, you know, and it grew, you know, started small, but then grew over time. And he began that as a layman. 
You know, it's interesting that the oratory develops out of an already existing reality. That Philip came to Rome and lived a life of deep prayer, went to, lived a life of poverty. I mean, he was sort of like a vagabond, lived on a few pennies a day, talked to people about the faith, and began these groups and, you know, worked in the hospitals there. And eventually, you know, these groups, you know, grew so large that he's counseled by his spiritual director, become a priest so you can become a confessor. And he's not ordained, was it till 35? 35 or 36. And the oratory is established in, in response to the oratory, you know, that already existed, you know, which was a set of, of spiritual practices that all these people were engaged in. So he saw the need there in Rome as a layman engaged in it and then responded to it even more fully in establishing the community that then could serve you know all those coming to the groups in a greater capacity so so you're supposed to walk around town and engage people about the faith which is true in some ways I think we've become tentative you know, in that regard, and about about sharing our faith, and you know, we have so much that is beautiful right at our fingertips, and perhaps we have to come to see the beauty of it first before that we can really speak speak of it with any kind of genuineness. That I think when we are fully enter into the life of faith, and we are going to daily mass, going to frequent confession, we begin to see the fruit of that, and we want to share it with with others, and to speak of it in such a way that they then at least become interested in it and want to explore it as well. I mean, that's how it happened for me. I, you know, I was, came here to the university and was Catholic students who invited, who engaged me first in friendship and then invited me to some of the oratory functions. Any other thoughts? Okay, one final paragraph and then coffee and wonderful desserts. Our loving and holy Father Philip urges us to persevere through motives of love and encourages us by these words, by persevering and contending against our own passions for the love of virtue, without experiencing any sensible sweetness, we shall in time, even in this world, attain to a tranquil quiet and all but angelic life without feeling trouble or anxiety at anything whatever. So there could be hardly more encouraging words about perseverance in the, in the spiritual life that you know, what he's promising here is an experience of the peace of the kingdom, the peace of Christ, that, you know, that this alone should be enough to motivate us to, to <coughs> seek to be resolute in the spiritual life, that we would come to know something of Christ's own peace and joy in our day-to-day -day life. But the inestimable gains of persevering do not terminate here, for the Holy Father adds a declaration which should continually excite us to holy perseverance. The Lord, says the saint, never sends death to a spiritual man without first making him aware of it and sending him an extraordinary measure of spirituality. Hence, Father Giovanni Matteo Ancina, in his last illness, exhorted those who visited him to lead good lives, for, said he, if we do not send before us the light of good works, we shall find ourselves in the dark 
at the hour of death. So, to stay close to Christ throughout the course of one's life, to have one's life illuminated by Him, then when we pass through that greatest of trials, our own death, we pass through it with an experience of confidence in that love. When the light of our own good works precedes us, then it will carry us into that experience with, with a confident love. Any final comments or questions before we wrap things up? Yes. So, uh, St. Philip was saying that uh, God never, if some, it says, never sends death to a spiritual man without making him aware of it. So, somebody knows that they're going to. Yeah, I think we often see this in the life of saintly figures that, you know, there's an awareness of what, what is coming to them and that the death is approaching. And so, you know, when there is this intimacy with Christ, you know, they can enter into that with their minds and their hearts prepared and so f- free from any fear or anxiety. And that's a real, it's, it's a good and happy death, it's often called, you know, that we, when one is prepared through having received the sacraments and, you know, it's again something I think that we've stepped away from and seeing its importance. You know, often we don't want to worry someone who's sick or on their deathbed. So, you know, don't call the priest and don't have last rites, you know, when it's really meant to be something that's comforting and that will give them strength and and hope in those final moments of their life or to be surrounded by their loved ones who are praying for them or to know that their, their faith community is praying for them as well that all these things are an extraordinary gift and a fruit, Philip is saying, of that perseverance in the spiritual life. Any other thoughts? Or? A lot to throw at you, but I, I think, uh, again, Philip proves to be a, a very astute teacher. Yes? How do you keep perseverance from turning into rigidity? You know, like... Um, that you, you, know, you want to stay the course, but you don't want to come off like, you know, know, you know like you're too, you're too rigid in your practices. Right. That's, you know, it's a good question because I think so often the spiritual life can be simply about performing spiritual disciplines, that it can give us a sense of spirituality but not perhaps have anything to do with intimacy with Christ. I think the way that we avoid that, you know, is by, you know, allowing ourselves and making sure that the focus is on Him. That, you know, even our spiritual disciplines can be egocentric. You know, we can be engaging in daily prayer and daily devotions in order to bolster up our our self-identity as a good person, as a spiritual person, faithful Christian, when in reality we might not know Christ at all. And so I think this is why Philip warns about multiplying the devotions and choosing those that have been tried and that do lead to that intimacy, an experiential knowledge of Christ, where then when we are going through those difficult times, you know, that it's the confidence in his love that pulls us on. 
even when we don't feel it. Now, the Carthusian that I started out with here today, he talks about the times there being almost what he describes a kind of animal perseverance, like we're really afflicted by life, by our life. We're going through great suffering, physical suffering or emotional suffering. And the, the most that we can do is persevere through that, but in this kind of blind fashion, that there's no consolation coming to us at all, and perhaps we can't see Christ at that moment. But having lived that deep life of faith, there still can be this invincible faith deep within us that allows us to carry on in the, in the face of it. And again, that's why it's so important that it doesn't just become routine for us. You know, a person who's struggling with cancer, often the pain is the only thing that they're going to experience. And, you know, they're going to have to be able to find Christ in that pain because the only thing that they're going to be able to do, as it were, is to lean into it and experience it as it is. But if Christ is there, then even the suffering and the pain becomes an, you know, a consolation in and of itself. The pain might be excruciating, but the consolation is that Christ is in it because he bore it. But a person only comes to see that if, they're, if they really have a deep faith life. Any other thoughts? Okay, when we stop there, we'll uh, conclude with the prayer to St. Philip. There's a painting of him over here on the far side of the room, and maybe I could ask you all to stand as we pray it, and then we'll sing the final hymn on the back page. And let us pray together. Look down from heaven, Holy Father, from the loftiness of that mountain to the lowliness of this valley, from that harbor of quietness and tranquility to this calamitous sea. And now that the darkness of this world hinders no more those kindly eyes of thine from looking clearly into all things, look down and visit, O most diligent keeper, this vineyard which thy right hand planted with so much labor, anxiety, and peril. To thee we fly, from thee we seek for aid, to thee we give up our whole lives Thee we adopt as our patron and defender, undertake the cause of our salvation, protect thy clients. To thee we appeal as our leader, rule thine army, fighting against the assaults of the devil. To thee, kindest of pilots, we give up the rudder of our lives, steer this little ship of thine, and placed as thou art on high, keep us off all the rocks of evil desires that with thee for our pilot and guide we may safely come to the port of eternal bliss. Amen. The Lord be with you. Amen. Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And together let us sing, O God, beyond all praise. O God, beyond all praise, we worship you today. And sing the love amazing that songs cannot repay. For we can only wonder at every gift you send and bless.
St. Paul Cathedral, followed by a barbecue back here 
at the oratory. And uh, I think there's also an announcement about adoration. Uh, yes, yeah, so um, I'm Emily. I lead the, I'm the division leader for the evening hours of adoration. Um, and right now, I have a particular need on Friday nights. Um, I have two open hours, 7 and 8 p.m., and uh, the same woman adores at 9 and 10. She's traveling quite a bit in the next few weeks. So there are nine Fridays between uh, this coming Friday and September when I have four open hours from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. on, Monday, on Friday evenings. It's a good thing so, Brother Paul isn't taking vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's not allowed to go back. <laughs> I go into September there, so he's not um, So if you have, if you can even take just one of those hours, um, it's it's a little daunting to have quite that, quite so many open. So I would appreciate it. With the calendar online, I can also um, let you know the dates um, if anybody's interested in, in helping out with any of those. Uh, there is dessert for everyone over here, and there's still coffee. And then um, before you all leave, because sometimes people leave without dessert, crazy, um, <laughs> there uh, is a lot of extra chicken wraps. And I could probably eat them all except I'm a vegetarian, so that's that. Um, so if you would do the oratory, the fathers, and, and me a huge, huge favor and grab a plate, which will be available in the kitchen, and put as many chicken wraps as you want on it, and there's saran wrap, there's also veggie salad and fruit salad, and you can have anything you want. So uh, that would be very, very helpful and much appreciated.